Welcome to Conversations. I'm your host, Doug Dewan, and joining me this segment is Michael Jeffries, the Dean of Academic Affairs, Class of 1949 Professor of Ethics, Professor of American Studies at Wellesley College, which is a, a heck of a resume on its own, and author of the book Black and Queer on Campus. Michael, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to talk to me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, kind of let's just dive right in. Black and Queer on Campus, what, uh, what differences are or, or challenges are black lgbtq plus individuals facing today that many of us may not be aware of especially in a collegiate atmosphere yeah i mean i think most of the challenges are going to be things that uh, our listeners can readily anticipate right i mean talking about racism homophobia transphobia these are not challenges that are unique to college students um, but i think that one of the things that motivated me to write the book was and thinking about the experiences of some of the students in my classroom, uh, the students reported having difficulty finding a space that was really right for them. Sometimes in LGBTQ plus spaces, issues of race and racism are sort of downplayed. And in predominantly straight black social spaces, issues pertaining to sexual orientation and gender identity are downplayed in different ways as well. So finding that perfect space where they could really be themselves all the time, I think that's one of the main things. And then another thing that I found is that the students are really hungry for mentors and other folks on campuses who, like them, are Black and queer. And with an absence of those figures on campus, they really didn't express that they felt like they had a ton of role models, a, a wide array of role models who kind of helped them through the college process. So those are just a couple of things, but but those are just two of, of many of the challenges that these students face. Well, you, you talk about role models. Now, uh, historically, now just anecdotally from my own personal experience, watching tv and movies and news uh it does it does seem more predominantly that uh people in the lgbtq plus community that have come out over most of my lifetime have not been black people or people of color it has been predominantly a, a white thing with acceptance have you noticed that that's the case too um and if so is the new uh i mean there's definitely new figures uh in the black community that are coming out very predominantly and being extremely successful um as queer individuals is that helping out at all yeah i mean i think we're in a really important moment now when you talk about pop culture and the visibility of queer black celebrities i mean two of the people i talk about in the book a little bit are billy porter and lena waith who have had incredible careers um, in the entertainment business but there are so many more charlene carruthers is an activist uh alicia garza who is the one of the founding members of the black lives matter movement so we do have across all kinds of spaces entertainment business and the advocacy space a range of queer black role models to look up to but i think the sense that historically right when we think about the stereotypes of the most popular and recognizable lgbtq plus figures um we are led to think about white folks first and foremost and in part that's because that's what the entertainment industry believed for a long time was most saleable and in part because of stereotypes around black homophobia. And this is something that I talk about in the book. I think on one hand, we have to recognize that when there's a panic about black homophobia and when black homophobia is identified as the key reason that LGBTQ rights are somehow stalled in this country, that's misdirection, that's distraction, right? That's scapegoating. We know the reasons that LGBTQ plus folk struggle in this country are institutionally rooted. By that, I mean uh, laws, right? The history of practices uh, in the medical establishment, right? Those institutional reasons are the reasons for inequality and suffering. And having said that, we also know that Black cultural spaces have a different relationship 
with sexuality and gender identity, in part because of the need for a politics of respectability that often gets prioritized, especially in black religious spaces, right? So there are differences, but scapegoating, right, quote unquote, black culture as the primary barrier to LGBTQ advancement is a really sort of misguided political analysis. Sure. But, but I mean, you said it yourself, black communities do have, they have been given a reputation of being more homophobic now. So two parts, I guess, one, is there really validity to that statement? And two, um, does that stem from the, uh, predominance of Christianity within the black community, or is that something that is being heaped up, heaped upon the black community, uh, by outside forces? Yeah, I think that's the place to start, right? So I think the place to start is so many of the stereotypes are rooted in the religious commitments of Black American communities, right? I mean, I think that's where so much of this discussion comes from. So when you ask if it's rooted in any truth, yes. There's a political scientist called Kathy Cohen, for example, who wrote a book about the AIDS crisis in the 1980s. And Cohen talks about the role of the Black church in the crisis. And basically what happened was, even though these congregations could see the effect that this crisis was having on its members, the Black church was afraid to step into the breach, right, to come out and protect and say, right, this is an issue particular to our community because they didn't want to be stereotyped as sexually deviant, right? Because there are already so many nefarious stereotypes around, among Black folks and sexuality they didn't want to have that pinned on them as well, right? So there's a concrete example where kind of out of a out of a need to aspire to some kind of version of respectability, Black churches were hesitant to get out in front of an issue that was really damaging to Black communities, right? So, so there are some roots of truth in there, right? Some seeds of truth in that stereotype. Having said that, the flip side of the coin is when you go to Black congregations, you can see queer Black folk all over the place, right? Now, they may not be in the pulpit leading the congregation, and we all know what patriarchal structures historically uh, Christian churches have been. But if you look in the choir, for example, and the other kind of musical collectives in the Black church, those have always been spaces for queer Black expression, right? So many writers have written about the power of those spaces in their own lives. Um, so so I think it's a, a kind of a complicated story because in some ways, the Black church has always provided a space for queerness, and in other ways, especially when it comes to uh, visible and kind of open politics, it's been reticent to enter into discussions of Black sexuality and gender uh, uh, performance and identity. Yeah, and I would assume, you know, that uh, still a, a lot of this stems from just basic racism at the same time as far as uh, the way that uh, black LGBTQ plus individuals are are looked at. Uh, a lot of it also is stemming just from racism. So with that, how do you how do you say that the experience would differ for uh, black queer students in like a historical black college or university versus a predominantly white institution? Is it different and and how? Yeah, so there are a few key differences that the students I spoke with uh, described, right? So I think that when you talk about the experiences of these folks in predominantly white institutions, um, they said things like they felt like the kind of diversity efforts at the schools that they went to were just sort of more talk than action. Um, they felt alienated when they went to, for example, LGBTQ student groups. They didn't feel like the student groups on white campuses were really serious about addressing racism. 
They didn't feel like the students in those groups always really saw them as whole people, right? They were often uh, described as sort of tokens um, rather than people who were capable of leading the group or setting the agenda for the group. Um, and they also felt that because there were many times smaller numbers of black folks on predominantly white campuses, when they went to black spaces, right, race was the primary and dominant piece of their identity that was expected to be sort of um, affirmed. But in the black spaces they went to, they felt like they didn't really have enough discussion about gender and sexuality, right? So it's a case where the low numbers of black folks on predominantly white campuses produced a certain kind of expectation for what would happen if you were in a black social space, right? At HBCUs, right, which are obviously totally different places, majority black campuses, um, they didn't have some of those issues with racism. They didn't feel tokenized by their other black classmates because of race. Uh, but there was a sense that the schools themselves weren't doing enough to support them. Uh, they weren't stepping out in front of issues in, like educating people about proper terminology and safe spaces. Uh, they weren't really affirming queer black experiences. They almost had the sense that HBCU le school leadership um, was kind of treating it as more of a quiet issue, something they wanted to keep quiet on the campus, the reality of Black queer, queer life, rather than offering them support and leading on LGBTQ plus issues on campus. So not a situation where they were on these campuses and they were constantly talking about being harassed or discriminated against because of their gender identity or sexuality, more of a situation where they felt like their gender identity and their identity as LGBTQ plus folk was kind of being swept under the rug or kind of ignored. And in, then in that, do you feel like they felt pressured maybe to downplay their queerness? Um, is that something that had to be pushed backwards or was expected to kind of just like, you know, pull back a little bit, um, especially in these communities? Yeah, I mean, they didn't put it in exactly those terms, right? Like they didn't say to me, like, I felt pressured to downplay there were a few students I spoke with who said things like that, but as a rule, that wasn't the narrative I was getting from all the students that I spoke with who went to HBCUs. I spoke with 40 students who went to HBCUs. So there were really a range of experiences. And, th and that's really one of the big takeaways from the book is there is such depth in diversity of Black queer experience. So whatever stereotype you have in your head about the way Black queer Black folks act or um, the things you see on television, the movies, you need to kind of do away with those stereotypes and read the accounts of the people in the book, because there are so many different kinds of personalities and styles and commitments among the people that I spoke with. And the other thing to point out is the people I talked to for the book were already comfortable identifying as LGBTQ+. So, so there's a whole bunch of people on both kinds of campuses who, if they hadn't already identified and were comfortable in talking about themselves in that way, I would never have found them in the first place. So in some respect, what you're getting are the folks who are already most comfortable and most visible and therefore less likely to have to downplay their identity, right? Because they're already comfortable identifying in that way. Sure. But we know, right, that the LGBTQ plus community is so much broader than that. Yeah, uh, just personally, anecdotally, I graduated high school in 2000. And when I graduated, there were two students in my entire class that, who were openly homosexual. I know that the number is actually much higher than that. So looking at uh, youth groups coming up today, that number is visibly much higher, which gives you know reason for optimism that the, there's a feeling of safeness in just being oneself. Now, give me reason for optimism. What what does the future hold? Um, do black gay youth 
feel optimism towards the future or is this something that still feels kind of like uh they they shouldn't they don't have the right to be themselves publicly with the same rights yeah i mean i think honestly there's a mix some of the students i spoke with felt very hopeful about the future they were able to see kind of a longer trajectory in particular when it came to uh, lgbtq plus rights in this country um, and point to progress that had been made over a long period of time. But the other piece of this is I was doing these interviews during the Trump era. And that was a time when we know that um, LGBTQ plus folk were pressured to hide their identity more than ever before. Uh, that was a time when white supremacist activity was on the uptick. So for people of color and black folk in particular, uh, the sense of, you know, public danger, let alone what was going on with police violence and is still going on with police violence at the time, there was a real sort of foreboding sense of what the future was going to hold for those groups. So I think in part for that reason, right, many of the students I spoke with didn't see a whole lot of hope, right? Even if they could see a trajectory for non-black or white queer people, when it came to black queer folk, they didn't really see that same kind of hopefulness because of the intersection of race and gender identity and sexuality, right? So I think it really was a mix. Some people could were happy to kind of imagine a future beyond the political moment that we felt trapped in, but other people were looking around at the politics of this country and saying, oh my gosh, like we're sliding backwards here, <laughs> right? Uh, that was a really, um, you know, dispiriting time for many of the students that I spoke with. Yeah, for sure. But OK, so personally, you are dean of academic affairs. Uh, how do you go about creating an inclusive and welcoming environment? And what can we glean from that uh, in in our area with, you know, teachers, uh, just people uh, in authority positions? What should we be doing? What should we be looking at? Yeah, I mean, I, so I don't work in the admissions uh, side of, of the work of the college, but we have to recruit students in ways that show that they're welcome. Right. I mean, I think that we have to make sure that when we bring visitors to campus, um, everyone is aware of all the things that we have to support queer communities and queer students on our campus. We have to make sure that non-discrimination policies are up to date. Uh, we have to make sure that LGBTQ alumni groups and student organizations are well represented and have kind of the visibility uh, that they deserve. Uh, we have to make sure that LGBTQ folk are welcome uh, in our the kind of health services spaces that we offer. I mean, a couple of the students I spoke with in the group said they really couldn't take for granted that they were going to be understood if they had a medical problem and they went to health services. And then finally, I think the other thing is having an academic program where gender studies and studies of sexuality are central and treated with the kind of respect that those programs deserve is really key because the learning in the classroom really complements all the social learning that these young people are doing outside of the classroom. And we're at a time when there's so much really exciting work going on in gender studies and feminist studies. Uh, that's an area that we need to continue to invest in as administrators and leaders. Before I let you go, is there anything that I didn't bring up that you think is really important that people should know? Uh, maybe just lasting words that you would like to say? Yeah, I mean, the thing that I would return to is just to really let go of the stereotypes that you may have about who queer Black folk are and what their interests are and how they talk about their identity. The power of the book, really, is that it shows such a range of experiences and personality types and interests in the students that I spoke with. And once we understand that diversity, right, we can kind of get away from a set of expectations that really tries to put queer Black folk in a box. That's the power, I think, of what the students gave me. Of course, they had a lot of 
brilliant things to say about their own experiences on campus and their thoughts about politics and how to overcome racism and homophobia. But the real value, I think, the gift they've given us is allowing us to understand the diversity of their experiences. And that's important for all of us, right? And especially for young queer Black folk who are saying, wow, no matter what kind of person I am, I can be a member of this community and be welcomed in. Yeah, and I think that's poignant. Uh, again, the book is Black and Queer on Campus, the author, Michael Jeffries. Thank you so much for taking time to talk to us this morning. Thank you. I appreciate it. And thank you for listening. Conversations is a public affairs program of this station.